This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Good morning, good morning. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. And we're here with a really, really exciting topic that I think is going to blow your mind. But before we blow anybody's mind, I'm going to say good morning to Peggy. Good morning, Adol. And I'm so excited to be going universal today. We are going universal. This is a recording of an interview that we had with Jenna Gelman. Jenna Gelman is a 24-year-old South African living and studying in Israel. Uh, She completed her BA in psychology at Reichman University and now she is studying her master's in neuroscience at Barilan University. And we are going to be talking about the subject of epigenetics. It's a word that is um, used a lot now today in the world of health. And it really is something that we need to understand and something to explore. Now, what we're really excited about is that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And Jenna is none other than Dr. Castle, our famous Dr. Castle's granddaughter. So you're in for a treat, and we are asking you to come along for the ride. And without further ado, good morning, Jenna. Hi, thank you so much for such a warm welcome. And it's really such an honor to be here. I'm so grateful that we could even do this via Zoom. It's really a great opportunity. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, let's start. Let's start off with just understanding where, do, where, where, you know, your background. I did say that you've got a BA in psychology and that you're studying your masters in neuroscience. But just give us a little bit of background of you know what's brought you to this point. Okay, so like you said, I did my um, undergraduate degree in psychology, but it was actually it was in one of my lectures that I had in my undergraduate degree in psychology that was on epigenetics. And it was really in this lecture that I I felt this deep thirst for neuroscientific knowledge that I never felt before. And I just, I've got this, this, this thirst just continued to fuel me today. And it was this concept of epigenetics that we'll really delve deeper into in this talk today. But it was this concept of epigenetics that really motivate, motivated me to study the intersection of the brain, the neuroscience, the body, nutrition and the mind psychology so going from an undergraduate degree in psychology to now my I'm now in my second year of my master's in neuroscience I'm so far combining the mind and the brain and I'm hoping to weave in nutrition the body into that equation in my doctorate in my PhD that I hope to write a thesis on something incorporating the three elements together and that I'm hoping to do through the field of epigenetics. So you're you're really learning about the science of how the brain is working and and, and what the psychology behind it. Are you educating yourself just in terms of um, the world of nutrition? So nutrition is something, um, it's a field that I've been interested in since I was 12. So I've been researching um, the latest fad diets and what to do, what not to do. And then through learning about all these different fad diets and all these myths, and I've kind of, I've become more familiar with um, wholesome eating and really just nourishing our bodies in a sustainable way. And with my background in psychology behind um, like 
why we eat certain foods and the relationship that certain foods have um, with our emotions and in terms of emotional eating and um, eating just socially. So through that and through neuroscience, learning um, how certain foods affect the brain, which we will talk about when we talk about epigenetics, it's through that that I kind of combined my already um like my passion for nutrition together with an understanding of the mind and nutrition and why we make the food choices we make and how to break bad eating habits, how to form good eating habits, and then also looking at it from a biological or neuroscientific view. So through reading through passion and then also through reading lots of research articles and listening to podcasts, educational podcasts and audio books and reading books and um, really yeah, combining all of those bits and pieces of knowledge together to kind of form a better understanding of what is like the best way to fuel our bodies. I find the link between nutrition and epigenetics so fascinating. I, I know as well, I mean, I'm not studying like you're studying, but I do listen to all the podcasts and get as many YouTube clips in as I can, you know, in my, in my free time. And I'm sure, I mean, it seems like it's a really complex, um, you know, topic and complex kind of connection um, and I mean we discuss a lot about nutrition on our show we talk a lot about uh, exercise stress um, but when it comes to nutrition like you say I'm very very excited to hear later um, more information about what it does to our brain. So maybe maybe let's start with a definition of what is epigenetics everybody knows about genetics what about what is epigenetics? So Essentially, we can break this word up into two parts to make it easier to understand. So epi is Latin for above, and genetics, it refers to the study of our genes, how traits are passed on from one generation to the next. For example, genes are why I may have green eyes like my mother, while my brother has brown eyes like our father. Genes are also why one child may crave stability and routine and structure like their father, but their sibling may be more spontaneous like their mother. So genes are our, um, they're, no, they're our DNA, they make us who we are, they're genetic blueprint. So if we combine epi above and genetics together, we get the word epigenetics, which translates roughly into above our genes. And so what this definition tells us is that there are other external factors like the environment we surround ourselves in, the lifestyle choices we make, and the on-screen behaviors that can influence our genes. They cannot change our genes, but they can determine or influence which genes will be expressed and which ones will not be expressed. So that's... Oh, oh we think basically it's a, an interplay between nature and nurture like that that whole debate epigenetics exactly. that you know that, that you've got certain things that are wired you've got like your your dna imprint but then it's going to be what's happening on the outside that nurture part that's going to switch things on and off exactly exactly and i'd like to just give an analogy um just to make it make it easier to understand um it's really it's a complex topic but I think with a little analogy, it can make it a bit easier to dissect. So imagine my genes are a paragraph and that my identical twin and I have the 
exact same words in the same sequence of letters, but they are spaces. And um, th the massive difference between these is that although my genes or my paragraph in this analogy have um, the same words in the same sequence of letters as my identical twins, there's a massive difference. The letters are in the same order, but the spaces and punctuation are in different places. Now we can liken the spaces and punctuation to epigenetics. I'll give you an example. So let's say I have the sentence, I love cooking, my family, and my friends. If there are no commas in a sentence, it would sound something like, I love cooking, my family, and my friends, which sounds rather absurd. <laughs> but if we add commas, then we've ultimately changed the meaning of the sentence. And this is what epigenetics does. Just like the commas in this sentence, epigenetics changes the meaning of our genes by influencing whether they will get expressed or not. Okay, we're talking with Jenna Gelman and we're talking about epigenetics and is really, do our genes define our destiny? This is an interesting conversation and you need to continue listening up. Um, we're going just for a bit of a break. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We are talking with Jenna Gelman, um, and we are talking epigenetics and if genes define our destiny. So then, you know, you, you I think you've given a great definition on what epigenetics um, is. Explain to us how, how does it work? How does it how, give an example or give maybe a, a theory on how, how does epigenet epigenetics affect us? Sure. So before I explain how it works, I think it would be a good idea to just give two examples of how epigenetics occurs in nature. So let's look at the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, for example. Now, the caterpillar and a butterfly have identical genes, but we have two very different outcomes. One is a caterpillar and one is a butterfly. Now, although their genes are identical, their genes are expressed differently depending on the life stage. This isn't magic, this is epigenetics. Another example of epigenetics occurring in nature is the difference between the worker bees and the queen bee. The, all of their genes are identical, all the bees have the same genes, but the queen bee is the only bee that has access to the protein-rich royal jelly. So as a result of this added nutrient, this food source, the queen bee lives up to 28 times longer, grows three times larger, and lays about 2,000 eggs when she is most fertile. Now mm -hmm. here we have the exact same genes, but again, a very drastic different outcome. And this is epigenetics at play. So in order to understand how this works, we need to understand that our body has trillions of cells and each of these cells contain our DNA or our genetic blueprint. But our DNA does not know what to do with our body. It needs external instructions from little carbon and hydrogen compounds, which are called methyl groups. 
These methyl groups control our genes by tagging to the gene and saying, do not express this gene. Or, or alternatively, express this gene. It will say, it will say both. Or... So, the, uh, methylation, that, that is like gene silencing. So that's specifically okay. a process where the gene, a specific gene is silenced. So it would be saying, um, to like kind of personify it, it would be saying, do not express this gene because it's a silencing. But in addition to the methyl groups, we also have special proteins called histones. And we can picture a string and we can picture the string wound around a spool. Now the histones would be the spool and our DNA would be the string that's wound around the spools. Now these spools or histones can change how tightly or how loosely the DNA is wound around them. If the string or the DNA is, is wound tightly around the histone or the spool, then it can express itself less. But if the DNA or the string is wound around the spool or the histones loosely, it can express itself more. Now, every cell in our body has a distinct methylation and histone pattern, and this is what results in different commands given to each cell in our body. So this is how our brain cells know that they must function as a brain cell. And this is how our muscle cells know that they must function as a muscle cell. Are we able to then test whether our genes are, are turned on or off or expressing themselves or not? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if we can test um, whether certain genes are expressed or off. I'm, I'm not sure. But there is there is studies there is studies that can tell you if you have got a mutation in the gene, okay, that will then go and say, well, your methylation doesn't work because the, the, this gene has to be dominant so that methylation can work properly. In your case, you're, uh, you're, you you've got a gene that has a, a recessive or dominant that that doesn't that doesn't allow it to switch on or switch off. So you can't go and like dissect it to you know on a microscopic level the way Jenna's saying it but um there, there are there, there are you know there, it, it's it's the whole the whole study of nutrigenomics which is you know it's pretty controversial if you go to really the hardcore uh geneticists you know they're going to go and say no this is hogwash but I, I really personally I've I've had it done on myself and I've had like a list in various areas of what are your strengths in your body and what are not? For example, I know for myself that I am deficient in methylation. Just genetically, my my blueprint is that that my body doesn't function as prop, as well as it should with methylation. And so that information teaches me what I should eat and what I should do in order to detoxify, detoxify, and and get that methylation to you know or supplement or whatever have you. It's great to understand that we can be dealt a certain like, set of cards, but it's how we reshuffle the deck that really makes the difference. So it's amazing that you that you understand what is going on with your genes, and now you can make active choices to ensure that you get sufficient nutrients and to ensure that you live a healthy lifestyle. So that's amazing that you take the initiative to do that. Mm. Can we go back to the understanding of twins and how they both have the same genes? Because I know that you have more examples to explain about how one twin would be kind of would express that some genes would be expressed more based on their environment yes so there's an example where 
we have a pair of identical twins. So their DNA is, of course, 100% identical, but let's say only one of them develops depression. Now, how does that make sense if their genes are identical? That means that it must be written in both of their genes that there's a predisposition for depression. This is true. It would mean that both of them have a genetic predisposition for depression, but our genes do not exist in isolation. They're not the only variable in the equation. Our genes, as we spoke about earlier, the nature versus nurture, our genes and our environments, our nature and nurture interact. And so the reason why the one twin may not, not develop depression, whereas the other twin did, is because his or her environment did not cater to the expression of this gene. So for example, let's say, I think we can, this can probably be a good segue into talking about certain um, epigenetic factors, certain behaviors, certain environments, changes we can make that can influence which genes will be expressed or not. So for example, the foods we put into our bodies or exercise that we do or don't do, these are epigenetic factors that can influence which genes are turned on and off. For example, vegetables contain um, a lot of antioxidants, which protect against um, aging and boost our immunity and also protect against depression. So just by looking at a diet that's rich in vegetables, this can already lower the risk of depression. So that's just looking at vegetables, for example, consuming lots of vegetables actually um, lowers the risk of depression by 62%. And so maybe the one twin just had a healthier diet. And because of this healthier diet, it was able to turn off the gene that expressed depression. So that's just one factor dietary related, but there's also this, and there's also other evidence for other dietary factors, but exercise also, I'm sure we've all felt that runners high after an exercise, which doesn't have to be achieved only after running. It's after any form of aerobic exercise. And what it is, is it's actually, it's the sense of euphoria that we feel after we've exercised, but it's biologically what's happening what's happening is the exercise or the physical activity amplifies the production of endorphins, which are our brain's feel-good chemicals. And they're actually um, our body's natural pain relievers, but they have these amazing mood-boosting effects. So studies have shown that exercise can um, lower the risk of depression. And there's actually there was actually a study um, that was conducted in which they had two groups and uh, two groups of depressed subjects or um, patients. One of one of the groups took the conventional antidepressant called Zoloft and the other group just did aerobic exercise. And this was a year-long study. And what they found that within four months, the mood of the um, depressed patients in the um, medication group who were taking Zoloft, their mood improved drastically that they were no longer depressed in four months. But what was even more amazing is that they found the exact same results, this exact same effect 
in the exercise group. To play devil's advocate, maybe it was just the social stimulation that was provided by exercising in a group setting. So what they did is they conduct the same research group conducted the largest ever exercise trial and they added a third group. So in addition to the group taking the antidepressant and in addition to the group doing aerobic exercise in a group, they also had a group exercising alone at home. And they found that no matter the setting, exercising alone um, at home or in a group setting had the same mood boosting effects and as the medication Zoloft. Now, I'm not a doctor and I, like, I really do believe in using medication when needed. I'm a firm believer and advocate of medication and mental health in general. But I think this is really interesting to see how something that is so natural, just exercise and moving our body can have such a powerful effect on not just our physical health, as we know, but also on our mental health. So I think speak if you need to take medication by all means take medication but i think there's no harm in exercising as well i think it's amazing just by moving our body how such an amazing result can be achieved i was uh, w listening to a podcast um interestingly about breast cancer and they went and said that if you take the spectrum of breast cancer incidence obviously it's increased tremendously you know it's something that unfortunately is common um, in society today, they said it's like a bell bell curve that on there's five percent of people who have this BRCA gene, BRCA one, two, three, which whatever that you know, and the genes expression is very strong and it's hereditary, and you know, that's how it will come out. And they said on the other side of the curve, there's that five percent that it just it spontaneously happens, but they said the ninety percent in the middle is caused from epigenetic behavior, meaning bad diet and um, the use of 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 cosmetics environmental and, toxins yeah environmental toxins and your perspirants and what uh, what do you call them the deodorants etc etc and it's not something that happens overnight is that if you're going to be putting on a certain amount of makeup that has like just toxins in it for 30 years what they did in the study was that they they tested the breast tissue and they found embedded in the breast tissue was like all these toxins that just built up or you know over years and basically what the guy was saying was have a look at your diet have a look at you you know what what you're doing with your body because again as you're saying and i think you're reinforcing that you know your outside stimuli that which you're ingesting as food and that which you're putting on your bodies and that which you the environment you're finding out is having an effect on the switch on switch off mechanism I think also it comes to understanding that all these things are kind of steps towards something turning on or off, but it could be an extremely stressful situation that turns everything on. Stress definitely Let's plays talk a about stress because okay, I, I think, think that's that, uh, you know, thing to talk about. Stress is an incredible it's an it's an incredible mechanism for your body to to help you deal with stuff, but I think it's 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 a big killer today. It's it's a big component. It really it's it's something that really does warrant a conversation about it's of course stress is a natural um survival reaction when we could have been attacked by lions we needed to our body needed to produce cortisol which is what's released when we're under stress and this cortisol 
enables us to be vigilant and alert and to, to deal so that we're able to deal with the stressful situation, be it a lion or an exam. We need we need that cortisol. But the problem is, and nowadays some of us were suffering from too much stress. And when we're under too much stress or chronic stress, too much cortisol is released. And this is what causes the problems because when, when we are, um, under stress, when we're under, um, any, any type of stress, our body priorit our body has to prioritize what's most important and it needs to deal with the stress at hand. So the immune system is not going to be able to deal with the stress at hand. So the immune system kind of shuts off for a little bit. Now, this is fine just to deal with the stress at hand, but if we're constantly under stress and this cortisol is constantly being released, then our immune system really takes a toll. And this is why we see that stress can really lead to um, detrimental effects on our physical health because of the immune system shutting down, but also on our mental health that can also lead to depression. And when, when people are depressed, they're very often we find that there's a comorbidity or like a co-occurrence with anxiety um, lots and, and just being very stressed all the time, very anxious all the time. So stress, chronic stress, being having too much stress, little, a little bit of stress is a good thing. It's actually called eustress, which is having a good amount of stress to motivate you to get the task done, to study for your exam, to write the exam, to do the task that you need to do. But having too much stress, living in a state of constant stress, this is what's not good. And there's actually something called Cushing's disease, which is when the body produces too much cortisol. And this results in detrimental effects like abnormal sleep patterns and depression. And I think sleep is also something that we could probably talk about. It's also very important. And I think a lot of people don't get enough sleep because so in the society that we live in today, when everything's just rush, 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 and just um, very high performance all the time, it's kind of almost glorified to say, oh, I only got four hours of sleep. I'm running on um, two hours of sleep, but it's amazing. I had my coffee and now I'm getting everything done. But it's, sleep is so important, like minimizing the stress and increasing the sleep. It's such a delicate but important balance that we need to maintain. Unbelievably uh, only I actually learned about stress just recently. I unfortunately was on an aeroplane um, that came in for an emergency landing and we had to go into the, what do you call it? Brace position. The brace position. Thank God I'm here to tell the tale. You can see that I'm here. But I was completely blown away. I mean, I, was, <laughs> I went into complete stress mode, but in a very calm way. You know, you kind of like faced your mobility. I didn't know if I was going to get off the plane alive. But what I found very interesting, and it's been like now close on a month, um, I've been going through certain um, somatic healing and 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 brain healing to try and get rid of the, the trauma and the stress that it caused my body. And I've, it's been measured. I can see it on a computer. Like, this is your brain pattern. This is how it was. And this is what this, you know, it was the fright, flight, you know, type of, of, of bird that I had to get in and how long it has taken myself to get back to normal. Literally last night was the first time that I scored over 80% sleep, like, like good sleep in a month. And it wasn't because, 
you know, even that, that I, I, I knew that I was consciously stressed, but the stress did so much to my body that it didn't actually allow me to relax. So it's, you know, kind of like, um, you know, giving a lot of power and a lot of, uh, you know. I think when it comes to these types of traumas, though, Edel, is that we have to understand that when people do go through such traumas, and unfortunately these days there are a lot of things that people go through and a lot of very stressful situations that people go through, to actually work on those traumas because they really do tell your genes information every single day. Absolutely. We are speaking to Jenna Gelman and we are talking about epigenetics and how our environment, our food and uh, everything else actually affects who we are. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adel Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Jenna, we were talking just before be, before the break about sleep. Let's just unpack sleep a little bit more because, again, I think, as you said correctly, people are really proud to say, oh, I just live on two hours sleep or four hours sleep, or they're very proud to say, well, you know, the way that I just get myself going again is I have three cups of strong coffee in the morning, stimulate my body, and I, you know, I'm at it again. Like, let's talk about the importance of sleep. Okay, that's, yeah, it's something that's really vital. Um, and something that's not talked about enough, although it's now it's starting to gain more popularity as it should. But essentially, we have two distinct classes of sleep. There's non-REM sleep, or also called slow-wave sleep, and this is characterized by slow electrical activity in the brain and not very elaborate cognitive processes. And on the other hand, we have REM sleep, which stands for rapid arm movement sleep. And this is characterized by fast electrical activity in the brain. And this is actually the, the, this is actually when we have enhanced elaborate cognitive processes that are actually similar to when we are awake. So we have really these two distinct classes and, um, there are important functions happening in both of them. Now, sleep is important for restoring our bodies, particularly the slow wave sleep or the non-REM sleep, because this is what helps to conserve our energy. And we also have human growth hormone or HGH released during this non-REM or slow wave sleep. And this, as the name suggests, is very important for physical growth um, during childhood and also for muscle mass, for building our muscle and bone mass. That's why it's important to really get that sleep, that rest and recovery in between workouts as well, because they say like your muscles are made while you're, like, I mean, it's lit- your muscles are literally made while you're sleeping. It's not made really while you work, while you're working out. You need to rest in order to, for your exercise to reap its benefits. And sleep is also important for consolidating memories that we've made throughout the day. And sleep deprivation can have um, negative physical consequences, um, both for our for our body and for our brain, for our mind. And studies have actually shown that sleep deprivation, defined as in the study, defined as six hours or less, actually increased the risk of depressive symptoms by twenty five to thirty eight percent. Oh, that's incredible! Wow. So then, sure, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got to sleep some more. Baby. <laughs> I'm going to our watches, you know, we need yeah. to understand really what our sleep is all about. 
But it's again, um, I think the emphasis here is to be an inter interplay. So in my case, for example, now with, with the trauma that I went through, there was like there was a stress factor inside. It didn't matter how much I tried to go to sleep. I couldn't. Even yeah. if I consciously I consciously tried to sleep, my body wouldn't let go because I had, you know, something else going on. And so I think that uh, kind of like the message is that you've got to like look at your lifestyle completely and see, you know, see where you are and 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 that you have you have a balance in life and that you're eating correctly. I mean, you spoke a lot about nutrition and you spoke, you spoke, by the way, about vegetables. Like, is, is it only vegetables that we have to worry about? Can we just touch on the last like, couple of I know of that minutes? you're also very passionate about nutrition and depression. So if you want to just kind of expand on are there certain foods aside from this vegetable that we can be eating that can help our moods and our depressions and our genes? Yeah. Okay. So there are, there are, it's definitely, it's not only vegetables, but vegetables, I think, I think our moms were onto something when they told us to eat your vegetables. As a not, kid, our moms, I think. not our moms, our grandmothers. Moms, grandmothers, all of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, vegetables, um, yeah, as we said earlier, that consumption of vegetables can lower the risk of depression by 62%. But what we um, can also look at is carbohydrates. Now, I know with all the, I said earlier that I've been interested in nutrition since I was 12. So I was always like looking at what's this next fad diet and is this true? What are all these myths? I'm, I've always been a very inquisitive, analytical person. So I'm always trying to dissect, could this be true? Or why does this, why, why do they say that this makes you fat or this makes you lose weight or this makes your brain functioning better I, I don't like to just accept things as they are I like to delve deeper and kind of play detective and see what's the like what's the justification behind it so for example um like we okay so ser um, serotonin is um I think I'm not sure but I think a lot of people are familiar with this, with um, what serotonin is. Serotonin is something um, that we call a monoamine. A monoamine is a scientific term for just a chemical messenger that our bodies cannot function without. And there's a theory of depression called the monoamine theory of depression. And what it states is that depression results from a reduction in levels of these chemical messengers called monoamines. And one of them being serotonin, which has kind of been in the spotlight for a very long time now. There are other ones involved, but I think just for the purpose of this, we can talk about serotonin. And serotonin is very closely associated with our mood. Now, there are certain foods that can increase the level of serotonin. So this sounds really promising. If we can just eat certain foods, then we can, by eating greens, like maybe we can avoid the blues. There's some way that the food that we eat can impact that chemical balance in our brain. The, the, now, it has to be chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> for well, your genes. For your genes. I don't. No, actually, actually, yes, you're, you're right. Chocolate is. Exactly. Chocolate <laughs> It's called 75% dark chocolate, Adel. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure, but come on. No, but I, I do, no, but it, 
for real, chocolate, chocolate is, it does, I'll, I'm going to talk about it now, but also I don't believe in like cutting anything out. I believe in following yeah, the chocolate in. <laughs> I like that a lot. By following like a wholesome, sustainable way of eating and living, we should be able to incorporate foods that nourish our bodies, but we also want to nourish our soul and we want to nourish our heart. We want to eat foods that make us happy and feel good. Just make so, sure that broccoli after. I do. I make a chocolate and broccoli smoothie. <laughs> so serotonin cannot cross the blood-brain barrier. So we can't really get a dietary source of serotonin because it cannot make it from our mouths to our blood to our brains. But the building block of serotonin called tryptophan is an amino acid which can cross the blood-brain barrier. So now the question we ask ourselves is, okay, so what happens if we just eat foods that are rich in tryptophan, because this will turn into serotonin, then will eating foods that are rich in tryptophan make us happier? Not so simple, but let's, let's dissect it a little bit. If tryptophan is an amino acid and amino acids are the building blocks of proteins, then should we all just be eating a diet that's high in protein this has been tried and tested but it has failed likely because there are other amino acids that are not tryptophan and they compete for access to the blood brain barrier with the tryptophan amino acids but luckily eating carbohydrates can redirect the non-tryptophan amino acids and allow the tryptophan access into our brain and I think this is something we can actually all relate to when we're feeling down, tired, low. Carbs are kind of what we crave. We I've never, I mean, maybe there is someone who craves broccoli and chicken when they're sad, but I'm not. <laughs> I crave pizza or muffins or my grand's chocolate chip cookies. That, that's what I crave when I'm sad. And this also explains why women suffering from premenstrual syndrome or PMS crave carbohydrates. You know, Adel, sorry, Adel, before we go to an ad break, I'm just so excited about the fact that you use the word tryptophan because it is so huge. And uh, actually, uh, Trudy Scott was here in Johannesburg. She may even still be here. Trudy, if you're listening to this, please, I'm so excited because we can use Jenna. Jenna can give us the information about tryptophan because, I mean, there are books written on this and there's the anti-anxiety food solution written by, by Trudy Scott herself. And so many people are only starting to find out about tryptophan and 5-HTP and GABA like nowadays. You know, GABA is kind of just being handed out as like a natural antidepressant to people. But no one's really heard about these things until of like recent. And even though there's been so much, so many studies for so many years, the information is all out there now. So thank you. And we're so excited to hear all about this. You are listening to 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Hey, we're back. And Jenna, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And we've got maybe two, three minutes. Um, I don't know if you you want to like just like wrap up and kind of t- like I kind of almost feel that in a couple of years' time, when you finish writing your thesis, we're going to have the Jenna Gelman diet. <laughs> <laughs> or the Jenna Gelman uh, radio show. Radio show. <laughs> but can you maybe like sum up what you're, what, you know, what, what you're saying and, and giving a takeaway to our listeners of 
what should what what should we be wary of? What what should we be aware of that we can bring into our lives to make our lives probably more healthier? And if I can also just add to that question, is you know, Jenna, we had a bit of a conversation the other day, is to explain to listeners out there because last week we had a discussion on um, dementia, on dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and to explain to listeners out there that it starts from when you're born. It's not from when you're 70, 80, 90 to start worrying about epigenetics. It's from earlier on. If you can sum that up in two minutes, we've given you like a thesis to say. Okay. <laughs> Just to answer that question quickly, it actually it starts from even before we're born. It's um, what's happening in the in um, our mom's belly, what's happening in, in that environment. Mm. Exactly. And okay, so just to, to sort of wrap up, basically... What I'm saying is that our genes do not need to define our destiny. We don't need to be enslaved by our genetic material, but through the choices we make, through the lifestyle choices we make and the behaviors we have and the environments we surround ourselves in, we can influence, we can tweak or fine tune the genes that we have. We cannot change them, but we can reshuffle the stack of cards and ultimately change the outcome for better or for worse, defining either sickness or health. And there are various ways to change whether genes will get expressed or not by eating a diet that's rich in antioxidant-filled fruits and vegetables and whole grains, legumes, foods that really nourish our bodies, fuel our bodies, give us the energy that we need. And it's also important to move our bodies. So we want to aim for exercising as much as we can, as much as feels a little bit out of our comfort zone, but still good and healthy for us, not overexerting our body because our body also does not know how to differentiate between stress and workout stress. So that's something very important as we spoke about how detrimental too much stress can be and how much havoc it can wreak on the body. So really living a wholesome, healthy life entails nourishing your body with good, healthy foods and because this in turn will also nourish your brain and moving your body, trying to limit stress as much as possible and trying to sleep <laughs> as much as possible and really just changing these behaviors and um, these habits, it's easier said than done, but it, I think in the end, it's really worth it. And I think there's a really great quote that I heard from, that I, I read from Hippocrates. It said that the greatest healing force within each one of us is the greatest, the, the healing force within each one of us is the greatest healing force. There you go. Aren't you excited? I, like, I, this has been a really fascinating conversation, and I'm so glad that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> We've explained it as, as, as your grandfather likes to come on the show in very, very clear terms. And I think you've sent out a very, very clear message, certainly to myself. I mean, I, I definitely agree with the nutrition, the sleep, the stress. I would add in chocolate, but don't, don't, don't take me as a good example. Um, but seriously, um, this is, I think, the way modern medicine is going. And we want to thank you tremendously for giving of your time and of your, your expertise. And no, this is not going to be the last time. We are going to certainly be following um, you know, you and 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 the the the, the learning that you're doing, 
And I'm sure that you're going to bring a tremendous amount of nachas, uh, not only to your family, but to, to the world at large, you know, in, in, in educating people. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. It was really great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you.